Hey everybody, Skip Blue here from MRCH 108 Play at the Rock of the Merch, and you're listening to Sloancast. Hey you, you're listening to Sloancast, your one-stop shop, deep dive, where we discuss anything and everything about the greatest band of all time. Andrew Scott, Jay Ferguson, Chris Murphy, and Patrick Pentland, collectively known as Sloan. We are your fellow super fan hosts. I'm Rob. This is Ken. Ken, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. We have uh we have A-list guests galore <laughs> on this podcast, and that's a little preview of our of our guests today. That's right. A-list guests win. You know, Ken, they say the best rock comes from the suburbs. And in this case, when I say they, I'm of course referring to our guest this episode. You know, Ken, there are stories told out there about men who were born with just a little more pep in their step. You're fluttering me up already. Let me just get through it here. A little more juice to let loose. A little more juice to let loose in the rest of us with the power to rock and roll all night and party every day. If you could capture their energy in a bottle, you could power the earth for a millennia. If you've seen the band any time over the past, I don't know, 20 years or so, you've likely interacted with our guest in some way or another. He's known as Kevrock, the Clapper, Skip Low, DBD. I don't know. I need to know what that stands for. It's on the DVD. He's a special sauce of Team Sloan. Please welcome to Sloancast, Kevin Hilliard. Kevin, how are you, sir? What's new? Hello, human beings of Earth. Sorry to interrupt you there. I was just getting excited about that <laughs> uh, that intro. I couldn't uh, could barely contain myself. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you for joining us, man. This is great. I'm happy to be here. And uh, I knew I was destined to be on this podcast when I heard that Sloan's merch guy, Jay the Coiler, Coil had been on, and I'm like, frig, if he's been on, well, then I'm going to have to be on. I, I have better <laughs> stories than he does. Get him out of here. Well, no, we're, we're, we're working our way up, you know? Oh, gotcha. Exactly. So, the hierarchy, if yeah, you will. Exactly. Well, then you should have had me on years ago then. I'm at the bottom. I'm at the bottom. <laughs> In no particular well, order. I, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's alphabetical. Uh, anyway, yeah, thanks so much for doing this, man. It's great to see you. Happy uh, to what, be here. What's new? How you been, man? Oof. Uh, uh, what's new? Nothing is what I would say is new. For those people that don't live in Toronto, there's nothing happening in Toronto. We haven't had live music here and I feel like nine months or so. Uh, mm. Everybody's kind of shut down and I don't see anybody or hear from anybody. It's awesome. Oh, well, you're hearing from us and we're happy to hear from you. Exactly. And I'll be honest, I got to be honest, like anybody... Who, you know, if you see the name on the, sh- <clears throat> when the show comes up, Kevin Hilliard, and you're thinking like, hmm, who is that? Who's Obviously, that we've idiot? seen you. We've seen you on the Patrick Solo shows hosting. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, but as soon as anybody sees a picture of you, they're going to be like, oh, oh yeah, that, that guy. guy. Yeah, 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 exactly. Totally. I'm the, so, uh, uh, you know how Weezer have that guy named Carl? I think I'm the exactly. Carl. Carl <laughs> Cook. Of Sloan, yeah. You are one hundred percent the Carl Cook of uh, the um, although way more fun. By the way, I want to agree with that. I haven't met Carl, but I'll just assume that I'm way more fun than he is. He's a little low key. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. I just want to say that before my appearance goes any further, that a I have probably the worst memory of anybody on the history of Earth. So if I screw any facts up or years up or complete storylines up, I apologize. Uh, and uh, I pledge to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, Your Honor. So help me God. Okay, here That's we fantastic. go. As a, as a further disclaimer, <laughs> um, we just make seventy-five percent of the shit up that we say on this podcast. Oh, okay. anyway, so it seems to be a match made in heaven. 
Okay. If if I the try. guys ever yeah, if the guys ever hear this show, they must be like just gnashing their teeth with all the oh, I'm sure I'm sure if any of them had the time and would listen to this, I'm sure they're just like, Oh my god, what is that moron going to say yeah. now? <laughs> well we like to consider ourselves a Beatles anthology for somebody who has zero expertise on the Beatles. So Gotcha, um, okay, gotcha. You know, it's, gotcha. It's, uh, we're we're learning this as we go along. Mm-hmm. Okay, perfect, perfect. Now, at and, the top and, of the I, show, I, and I purposefully didn't listen to any of the previous episodes so that I would have no idea Fantastic. even what happens. Fantastic. I literally don't know what happens. I don't know if you're going to ask me like short snappers or if you're going to ask me for long stories or if you're going to play me clips. I know nothing. So I am, okay. I'm a version to this podcast. It's going to be as low tech as you can possibly imagine. Perfect. Uh, now, at the beginning of the show there, I mentioned the quote. Best rock comes from the suburbs. Mm-hmm. I remember, I think it's a Much East interview or something in the late 90s with Thrush Hermit, and Mike Campbell brings you up as a reference. I think that might have been the first time I heard your name. Uh, you know, so, <laughs> so for those out there who aren't as familiar, perhaps you could kind of take us back in the time machine. Yes. Give us a little bit of uh, a taste of Young Kev, um, the early years, if you will, you know, where you're from, that kind of thing, any it kind was, of early musical memories, it was and then the- kind of leading up to... Uh, that quote, perhaps. I was going to say, at that quote, I was going to say, it was the height of grunge. Uh, <laughs> no, so I grew up in suburban Halifax. Uh, uh, so I became, I was, a t- I became of age as a teenager in the 80s, early 90s. Are you, sorry to interrupt, are you a Clayton Park kid yourself? or? Uh, no, I'm from the next suburb over Fair from view. Clayton Park, west. West of, you know, west of Clayton Park is Bridgeview, oh, Bridgeview. which sits mm-hmm. on top of Rockingham. Most people out sure. there know where Rockingham is. Every, anybody that's from there knows where I grew up because every, it's called Birdland because every street in our neighborhood is named after a bird. There's right. Bobolink, right. there's Oriole, there's, I grew up on <laughs> the corner of Flamingo and Nightingale. Okay, my sister lived on Flamingo for a couple well, of years. Actually, well, there so. you go. I was a member of the um, the uh, Nightingale Nighthawks street hockey team. Fantastic. Uh, from nineteen eighty through about nineteen eighty five. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Uh, I'm gonna get but, into hockey later. <laughs> no, but I would have just played, uh, just played around in my basement and stuff, playing drums for four or five hours at a click, and my parents would go out and go for walks for a long time. And then every Friday night, my place would be the place where everybody would come and jam. Mm. So there'd be big, there'd be five guys coming over and then another five guys coming over to watch the other five guys. And then we would play, you know, uh, you really got me for four hours. Just over and 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 over. And um, at that point, we didn't know how to get out of the first chorus back to the first verse. (laughs) So we would just play the first verse and the first chorus of You Really Got Me Mm. for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. Like It must have driven my parents insane a 10,000%. Uh, so then I didn't really play, uh, I didn't really play in a lot of bands when I was at university there. And then I, I left Halifax when I was 21 to go to college in uh, North Bay, Ontario. And when I came back in 93, everything was already up and running. And as Chris Murphy says, had exploded. yeah, exactly. As Chris Murphy says, yeah, this is my friend, Kevin. He, he grew up in Halifax and left from 1991 to 93. He didn't miss too much. <laughs> <laughs> so you you mentioned you mentioned uh, late eighties in the western part of Halifax. Safe to assume you went to Halifax West. Yeah, oh, yeah, I went to Halifax West. Class of eighty eight. Class of eighty eight. Yeah, and then I 
graduated Dow class in 91. Okay. So you had an overlap with Chris Michael Murphy at Halifax West. Did you know him from Halifax West? Not really. No, he would have been a couple years older at the time. So that would have been like, you know, he was a big kid. Gotcha. I'm still a little kid. You know, there could have been rumbles. So how did the, how did the connection then? It was more back in Ontario, actually, because I moved up here slightly before those nerds did, I think. And then uh, I just ended up running into them all the time, I think, up here. And the first thing I did for them was that uh, I went on the road with them and uh, shot that DVD, uh, Keeping the Tour Alive, in 2001 or whatever, something like that. <laughs> early 2000s? Yeah, early 2000s. It was the, they did a tour... Uh, in the U.S. opening for Jet, so I just followed them around with a video camera for a while, and then Some made classic a, content and made a DVD. <laughs> I still can't believe they made they allowed that to be released. It's so it's so uh, it's so raw that I'm shocked mm. that they they allowed that to be to be released. But it's cool that it's there. Well, there are freaks like us that really eat up that kind of content. So you know, there's there's an audience oh, okay. out there. Okay, great. There's some great. genuine stuff in there, like great. the Zeppelin Skinnerd argument. <laughs> the whole. Uh... <laughs> oh my God, that took me so long to sh- like because I did the whole thing. I shot yeah. it, I wrote it, I edited the whole thing. Hmm. I did the graphics. I did the. I was the guy that got the little car on the little string. It was like, <laughs> and I, that's my voice going, <laughs> and. That's my map that I used to keep in my car that has all the states and stuff going over it. I did everything on that. And it was my favorite part of that is I remembered that uh, I was working for CTV at the time in mm-hmm. Halifax just as a mm-hmm. freelance camera guy. And I needed a camera to shoot the whole documentary. And a friend of mine in Halifax had a camera. So he shipped it up to me. And then I... Uh, and then I shipped it back to him after that it was done. But CTV paid for all that. So I appreciate the shipping, CTV. Mm. That was great. Thank you. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. That's awesome. Marketplace. Um, yeah. It's so, so I don't want to gloss over your own musical career here. Mm-hmm. You know, that we, we seem to have a bit it's of a gap. It's pretty unimpressive, gap but I'm happy to talk about it. <laughs> I'm going to throw some names here because maybe some of you have seen him live. I, you know, there light bulbs went off in my head when I was doing some investigation on, on yourself. Um, I want to know what you found out. Well, we have, we have the band grace babies, which was formed in yeah, 94. Yeah, yeah. Right. And I think the, yeah. you know, the, the, the interesting tying connection between so many different bands on the Toronto and, and Halifax scene indeed, and, and, and the Canada music scene at large is, mm-hmm. is the name Mo Berg. And you worked with yeah, Mo yeah, yeah. for, for, <laughs> for, um, for your, was the first or the second Grace Babies album? I think the, yeah, he, the second. He, yeah. He did the second Grace Babies album, uh, Frequency. Yeah. He's the best. He's the greatest. He was, he was the, uh, <laughs> excuse me. When I moved to Toronto in 1996 with my band, the Grace Babies, we had played a few live shows with the Pursuit of Happiness before that. Mm. But uh, and at the end of like the third or fourth show, Mo gave me his phone number and he said, "If you ever come to Toronto, just give me a shout and uh, we'll go for a beer sometime." So then I called him about you know a year and a half later and said, "Hey Mo, how's it going? This is Kevin from that band called the Grace Babies. We just moved to Toronto and you're the only person I know right in the city. Would you want to go hang out for a beer?" <laughs> so he's my oldest uh, Toronto friend, actually. Okay. 
Yeah. It's I've 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 read that the Grace Baby's music style is being described as sort of following in the footsteps of Treble Charger. Can you expound upon that? Well, it's I, I don't I, it's hard to say because I I don't really know if I would have like yeah, I would have in the footsteps, I'm sure, but I don't know if I would say influence because mm. I don't know if I I would have had so little contact with Treble Charger by that point that I wouldn't have even known their music. I wish I could have been influenced. By it was the it was the time when, was, when name dropping TC was sort of de, de okay, regular, wasn't it? I guess it, it, it's it's uh, it was it, when I listen back to it now, I, I I feel like my my one comment would be like, "What's your hurry?" Like every song is so up tempo. Like relax, everybody. Where you got you got somewhere to be? You're from Halifax. Just chill. If I think it was, I think it might have been around the era of like you know. Uh, 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 Green Day and stuff. So it was a lot of up tempo songs. It was like I feel like we're always at a we'd play a we'd play like ten songs during a set, and I'm like, how long was that? They're like twenty two minutes. Like, <laughs> we only have another three songs. Like the songs were always two and a half minutes long, and you know, hundred and ten beats or a hundred sorry, hundred and forty beats a minute. Like it was just feel like it was always a race to get to the feel. Like let's make the perfect set, and we're gonna perfect it. I mean, it was like how about we just chill and we just play but it but you're just so young that it doesn't occur yeah, to you it's sure. like when you're it's like when you get the drums you when i when i got my first drum kit it's like okay well i got i have a a normal four piece set of drums oh i should get another cymbal oh man i should get a splash cymbal i got to get some rototoms for sure it's like blah, blah, blah. And you're just like you know ringo doesn't need any of this stuff. Just play the beat. You're a drummer. Like you're a pop band. You're not, you're not, but it was a weird time, you know, for music. It was, hmm. you know, you, in the same point you wanted to be a pop band, but you also wanted to be, you know, uh, uh, like Nirvana or, uh, even more so, uh, Soundgarden. Right. Like in one moment, you know, you sort of wanted to be a pop band, but then you also wanted to be kind of proggy and kind of sure. different and reinvent oh. the wheel and stuff. Right. And then after a while, you're like, oh, if you just write a good song, then you don't have to dust it up with high tempos or blah, 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 blah. I'm probably rambling. <laughs> That's fine. But um, it's fun to listen to that stuff for mm. sure. Like just to, and you can sort of pick, you're just, I guess like things would just, we're, we're so fast tempo wise and, and the songs were short because you were just so excited to be doing it, you know, mm-hmm. like it was a genuine excitement to be playing music, I guess. And mm-hmm. you mentioned your first kit there and, and, and obviously I, I'm a drummer too, the listeners know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, there is some footage of Grace Babies that I found the other day on a tape. Uh, it's like uh-huh. a Logis thing and you guys okay. are playing some show. Yep. Uh, they don't unfortunately the camera doesn't get to you but i've seen you play <laughs> if anybody has paid any attention to the sloan music account there's a great video of you from sometime in recent memory mm-hmm. of of where you sit on sit in on wish upon a satellite from 12 okay yeah 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 and yeah, it yeah, is yeah. glorious man like, <laughs> it's pretty fun I, it's it's i fun love to drummers watch. sorry go ahead <laughs> it's fun to watch that so i don't mean to interrupt you but it was mm-hmm. i i see every once in a while that pops up and it's fun to watch that because as soon as it comes on it's like like as soon as I start playing, the tempo goes. It's like rocket straight to the wind. And Goose is like, bring it down, like dude, you went crazy. But you got to remember, like at that point, like literally, I probably hadn't played a drum kit in two years or three years or something. And it was like, okay, I've got twenty seconds to play. This is gonna be fun, oh. and I'll just lay down the groove, and it'll be great. And the, you're just like. Whoa! 
like it's like four horses flying out of a barn. You're like, whoa! Like you got to rein it in. It's tough. You have me convinced, man. You have me convinced. Oh yeah. But I'm a huge fan of animated drummers, and you were one in spades. And for my question for you, as one animated drummer to another, is what came first, the ability or the animation? Because for me, I just wanted to swing my arms around, and I figured out how to play drums later. You know. Well, luckily, I think I went the opposite way and learned how to play drums first. And then <laughs> once you can play, you know, once you can play to uh, Back in Black and Highway to Hell over and over again, mm-hmm. then you can start to work on your stick twirling, you know. <laughs> yeah, nice. But I was always well, always the, the biggest Keith Moon fan growing up, obviously. And it's so funny because when you're a teenager, you're like, he's the greatest drummer of all time. Right. And when you're it's a 50-year-old, like I am now, you look at it and you're like, he was the worst drummer of all time. But the truth is actually somewhere in between. Like he literally right. was the worst and the best. And yeah. it's, and I was watching that, uh, the who just re-released um, all the uh, raw tracks from the who sell out. Yeah. So I watched that yes. whole classic albums from the who sell out. And I think that they, they talk about, I think it's Roger or, or whoever, maybe Pete talking about how like he's, that wasn't a, that wasn't like he wasn't playing a drum track. That was a drum performance. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that's a, per- it's like he's on stage, like, yeah. like doing an opera. Like he's not playing as part of the band as the drummer. That's right. He's the lead drummer of the band and he's performing <laughs> yeah. as the lead drummer. It's a weird, it's a weird combo and it usually never ever ever works but it worked with the who for some reason because they were all insane i was just gonna say it's almost as if what made him the worst drummer of all time also made him the best drummer of, of all course time, right? of that course, lack of, of timing course. but sort of addition of the premier yeah. character at oh the forefront. my god give me a break just the the greatest inspiration for sure and not to dwell on this because we never get to really focus on drummers because we're talking one now but for me the little thing between like you know the beatles and the who and ringo and keith is like you can't play like that if you're ringo and the beatles because the music is so pretty and there's so much going on like you can't go nuts during nowhere man yeah but if somebody's playing you know yeah. you can go fucking bananas behind yeah. that so it works yeah there's lots of air there too but plus pete townsend will tell you like he's multiple interviews where he says he said like he was great to you know be with and maybe play live with but he's like he didn't do a single drum fill that didn't go but do but do but do dagadook it's the same drum fill over and over again yeah. but just <laughs> disguised in different ways and i i never thought about it that way until i Till I heard him sort of decoding, and you're like, "Oh, you just you just don't see that or think about that when you're when you're a young drummer, you know." Cool. Do you have any? What would? How would you bridge? You know, playing back in black in the basement to you mentioned earlier working for CTV. Mm-hmm. Where do you bridge that period of time there? How do you how do you bridge that? Obviously, Grace Babies exist in there. Yeah. Uh, the bridge. Yeah, the bridge of time was I was playing. Yeah, I was playing with the Grace Babies in Halifax, Nova Scotia. And I was also working full time at the CTV affiliate television station in Halifax. So I would be working some weeks. I would be working, uh, on the breakfast television show. So I would be up at four thirty in the morning and I was the floor director and I was bringing all the bands out, out on and all that stuff. And then that weekend I would be headlining at the club, the mm-hmm. one club in town in, in in Halifax and then going out on a shoot, I would do shoots with bands and stuff. And I was also, uh, around that same time, or maybe even before that I was, yeah, before that I was volunteering at the, uh, channel 10, 
uh, community TV station there. Mm-hmm. And unlike most community television stations, uh, the one of the just the main guys that worked there was a guy named Mike Clattenburg, mm-hmm. who you guys might know from Trailer Park. Right. Boys. So yes, I, I've been I've been working with him and Jonathan Torrens since the late 80s kind of thing, which is very weird. I got to, my very first job, my first credited job in television was I was a production assistant on Jonathan Torrens's first uh, direct or uh, producing gig. And Mike Clattenburg was directing. It's a it's a short film called Going the Liquor Store. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and my payment for two days of work was a giant velvet Elvis. It's like that, <laughs> that, that prominently got featured in the film. And that was my wow. payment for that. And I still have that velvet Elvis on my wall right now in my bedroom in, in, in Toronto. It's probably the longest standing piece of stuff that I have. I've had that thing since 89. And I reminded and- Clattenburg of that recently. He's like, oh yeah, I forgot. I, paid you. I have a picture of me and Mike Clattenburg doing a ceremonial handshake, handing over the giant Velvet Elvis. Oh, would you please share that with us? I would love I will, to put that I will up to, if I, yeah, yeah, when I'll, this episode comes out. Yeah, yeah, I'll, <laughs> I'll dig it up for you somewhere. It's probably on my Instagram somewhere. My, and my okay. Instagram is at Kevrock666. So if anybody needs there to look go. up any of this crap it's probably in there somewhere i love it and velvet elvis by the way one of my favorite weird al songs (laughs) (laughs) and uh uh little known grace babies fact that uh the grace babies once went on a huge three date tour opening for um Oh God! What was that stupid band? Wild, that with... Wild Mouth Mason? No, 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 no. Wild no, no, no. Tea in the Spirit? No, no. I saw Wild Tea in the Spirit though at in Halifax for sure. Uh, no, um, that uh, Led Zeppelin cover band with the Elvis uh, lead singer, oh. Tor Tortelvis. <laughs> oh God! Is that what, what it, they were called? No, no, no. I, I, uh, sorry, Dread Zeppelin. I feel so bad. Oh, they were, Dread Zeppelin, and they were fantastic. They were the nicest mm. guys, and it was incredible. But for three days, we were opening for a Led Zeppelin cover band with an Elvis lead singer. It was surreal. And also, one time, the Grace Babies opened up for a magician in Montreal. Mm. <laughs> My favorite Grace Babies anecdote from a Sloan perspective is that your bandmate's name was Chris Sloan. Which to I, this day, I was texting Chris Sloan, or sorry, Chris Loan today, and I get it mixed up, and he gets it mixed up, or sorry, he doesn't, but everybody else gets it mixed up, and I have to text it, Chris Loan, both with capital letters on the C and on the L, <laughs> otherwise it's complete mayhem. I thought it was just a pen name for Chris Murphy that no. he was sitting in on the band, <laughs> sort of like a ghostwriter or something. No. <laughs> I was. I realized that I'm, I might have actually seen you live in Ooh. 1997 oh, or with, Mouth with Mason Wide Mouth and Mason and Dana Manning. That might be it. I think. And I it believe... was the Export A tour. They had the cigarette bus. Oh, okay. I believe yeah. I might have. So they <laughs> they had the Export A cigarette bus, and we had our van, which was an ex OPP diver van. Okay. So wow. it was an ex-police van. So it had the it was all black with white doors, right? And the OPP logo on the doors torn off. <laughs> so it looked like an OPP van. So everywhere we drove, cops would flash their lights at us, wherever, like on the highway or wherever, because they thought we were cops. 
That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Inside. So that was pretty cool. <laughs> but yeah, we did. We played a, a little uh, maritime tour with Wide Mouth, Wide Mouth Mason for sure. Uh, fantastic guys, fantastic band, and I remember having a, a lot of fun. Um, my my favorite because all my favorite rock and roll stories involve me being an idiot for some reason. Right. So mm. on this one, uh, I remember uh, I walked in. I just before they went on one time, probably on the fourth day of the tour, I like, again, I don't know anything. I'm such an idiot. Yeah, I'll just go walk into the headliners dressing room and everything will be cool. You know, I'll just see if I can grab a beer or something. I open the dressing room and it's the three guys in the band and then their merch guy and their sound guy and their lighting guy, or whatever. And they're all in a prayer circle. And I almost passed out for embarrassment for both me and them. I was just like, Oh wow. Okay. Prayer circle. Like it didn't even occur to me that you would, it just blew my mind. And I felt so bad. I literally slinked out of the room. Okay. Yeah. The drummer had to take the sucker out of his mouth it to was, say like, Hey, get out of here. And it was not, not to be confused with the time that, uh, the grace babies opened up for uh science Fearic at the opera house. And, uh, uh, in between sets, I walked up to go to the backstage and I was trying to pull it's a small backstage upstairs at the opera house. So I was trying to pull a maneuver where I would sort of kind of half jump over the small coffee table that had all of the entire band's rider on it. And then I would just kind of slink into the couch and it would be like really cool. No, my heel caught the back end of the rider and the rider went all over the headlining band. Oh my God. It was awful. And it was either that night or another night that we played at the opera house. And I started the wrong song off five times in a row. Like I just couldn't get it together. So I was like, one, two, three, four. And the guys were like, dude, this is a slow number. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah sorry, man. I screwed that up. Sorry. Here we go. One, two, three. They're like, dude, what song? Like it was literally 20 seconds, 30 seconds of me trying to start the song. <laughs> And the, the guy who was booking the opera house at the time came up to us afterward and said, don't bother to come back. Like he, he banned us. Yeah, don't come back. Oh my God. You were so bad. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Any dirt on Dana Manning? She seemed so wholesome. Was she on the cigarette bus too? She, I, I, she was on the cigarette bus tour, but I remember nothing. Of, okay. I, I remember seeing her around and that she had braces, but that's about yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, I think there was even a bus in her video. Anyway, whatever. Uh, <laughs> amazing. Again, so I, have, up... I have the worst memory of all time. So. <laughs> well, I wonder where she is yeah. now. Um, you mentioned working for CTV. What specifically mm -hmm. were you doing for them? Like, uh -huh. Did it change over the years? Or I've basically been, I, uh, basically been a freelance television cameraman for about 25 mm. years. Yeah, so I've worked okay. for... CTV, CTV National News, TSN, Discovery Channel, Much Music, uh, Sportsnet, Rogers, CBC, like whoever, whoever. Mostly on sort of broadcast stuffs, uh, stuff. Okay. But uh, there was this, there was one year, I think like the summer of '97, where I was the guy behind home plate at the Blue Jays games that had to take down the piece of mesh so that the camera could move over to the other side behind there. Mm. So you could see me for about five hours at a time standing behind home plate for a whole <laughs> summer. 
Well, you're, There's got to be some footage of that on YouTube or something. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure there is somewhere. I'm sure there is. <laughs> Get some, Roger some classic Kevin. Yeah, yeah. And I got to be in the same room as Mandela one time at the Sky Dome. And I also got to pin a microphone on Wayne Newton one time, which was pretty awesome. Wow. <laughs> we were going to ask for your favorite celebrity encounter from 25 okay. years of camera work. But the- <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm just going to assume that's Wayne that, Newton. That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> I have so many. It would blow your mind. But we'll, well stick we to take Sloan like a, today. We can or, take a 30-second yeah. little trip into maybe like a top five or something. Uh, mm. We got time. Um, I'm trying to think. The, the, uh, I, saw, I saw Alec Baldwin scream at his daughter one time on a cell phone, <laughs> cowered over in the back of a room. Um, uh, I saw a fellow crew member take a picture of Jennifer Aniston after being told 15 times, don't take a picture of Jennifer Aniston. <laughs> So he did, and he got fired. Everybody knows you don't take a picture. Uh, exactly. Um, but you know what? The, you know who one of the nicest uh, people I ever met on a shoot ever was? Was um, uh, David Beckham, the nicest mm-hmm. guy. Okay. The yeah. nicest. Genuinely nice guy. He walks into a room, shakes everybody's hand, makes eye contact with everybody. He's like, how you guys doing? Makes a little small talk, does his thing, shakes everybody's hand, gets up. Total pro. Total Total pro. Uh, Susan Sarandon, not a total pro, and that I'll I leave it expected. at that. <laughs> that I would have expected. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to have you back for a part two where we just dig on celebs. That's our other podcast, by the way. <laughs> wow, if you're digging on celebs and you're asking me, this is a horrible podcast. <laughs> you can do better. <laughs> you can do better than me. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> T- tell us about your uh tell us about your torture tape consisting solely oh, oh, oh. of air yeah. supplies i'm out of yeah love. absolutely out of love. on the first on the first grace babies across canada tour before we started i was like i know that we're gonna need some pick me up somewhere along the way so i went out of the way this is back in the days of tape to tape recording so i sat there with uh you know radio doing tape to tape recording and i made an entire 90 minute cassette of just I'm all out of love over and over and over and over again. And so I waited for about two weeks into the tour, and then we were on a long overnight drive, I think to Thunder Bay or something. And as soon as everybody fell asleep, I popped the tape in. And then on every subsequent listening, I would just put the volume up just a tiny bit higher because I was driving overnight and they were sleeping. In. And so it just sort of started out with general groans. Like, and then like after about the, you know, Fifth time, here's like just kind of, but they're all asleep and they're tired, so they don't really know what they're gonna use. You kind of brainwash them, and then finally, someone someone just screamed, Did I just hear I'm all out of love eight times in a row? <laughs> and I said, No, you just heard I'm all out of love 15 times in a row. <laughs> So have you have you applied this technique on, a, on any Sloan tour or is this like- absolutely not? Oh. Uh, I wouldn't dare, I wouldn't dare, uh, I wouldn't dare assert to. Uh, that kind of authority. A- a- I was going to say. Andrew's in charge of the DJing on the bus. All right. mm. yeah. I was going to say, I mean, like I've seen you on tour with the guys. Like you mentioned Pick Me Up earlier. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you can be on that tour and not be like, you know, like pepped by you. You know, your presence. <laughs> you're, you're, you're like just a guy in the room who's just like, how's everybody doing? You I'm know? just like, trying to, I'm just trying to be, just trying to be positive. And the key like, on those, the key on those tours is to, is like I always come up with a couple of practical jokes that I'm going to sort of bring them out along the way or gags or something. But but uh, Mike Nelson, uh, Mr. Tour Manager, he says there's only one rule on tour, and that is no practical jokes. 
So, of course, we're always trying to go up against that rule as much as we possibly can. Uh, and I find my favorite person to torment on tour personally is Jay. Because okay. he's, I find he's, he, it's easy to get him bothered. So it's kind of fun to pick on him sometimes. Mm-hmm. So we have a routine where, where at the start of the tour, all of a sudden I'll take something that's kind of weird and I'll stick it under his pillow in his bunk. And then the next day without hearing anything, it's, it's under my bunk. And then the next day I get that and I put it in a garbage bag and I stick that under his bunk. And then there's garbage on my bunk. And then it just, and then Mike is like, guys. The reason, the reason that there's no practical jokes, no escalation. <laughs> so once it starts to escalate, then trouble starts to happen. And then, um, so then at one point it ended up with, for some reason we had a FedEx box that was just, you know, like about two inches thick, but like if it was like a, like a ream of paper or something. And that yeah. FedEx box just kept going back and forth from my bunk to his bunk for about a month, like without a word <laughs> being said. Like under his pillow, stick it in his suitcase, put it under his bunk, try and stick it somewhere where he won't find it for a couple of days. And they're like, just unspoken word of cat and mouse for two months, you know. I love it. It's well, I mean, the, the, the DVD from like 2004, 2005 is called Keeping the Tour Alive, mm-hmm. but it could also be your like autobiography title. Well, Jay came up with that, Keeping the Tour Alive, because it was funny. We were, we came, we finished a tour and then... It's usually when you get home from tour, you're like, I don't want to see any of those people ever again. Like, I've seen, I know all their stories. I've seen their faces. I know everything. And for some reason, we got home from that tour. Like, we got home at like seven in the morning. And then at six o'clock that night, it was like, hey, Jay, what are you doing? Okay, let's go out today. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. So then from that on, it that that became keeping the tour alive. Like, you're home, but right. you still pretend that you're on tour. Yeah. Please, Ken. I, I was just going to say, I recall the Action Pack tour s tours plural i guess yeah um, as having been multiple. fantastic both from like a performance standpoint uh and from a, a musical standpoint obviously the record having been really you know well suited to live performance but what are one or two of your your own personal highlights from touring with the band with jet in the states it was the roseland ballroom in new york was pretty crazy okay. it was just fun to see like it's like that's a huge venue and a huge thing and like people are going bananas and like you're seeing a band like a jet they're at they're like that was at the height of their fame on earth yeah so the roseland ballroom was sold out and there's like people everywhere and at that point i think we'd already been on tour with them for a little bit or Mm -hmm. i had been on tour with them for a little bit so i remember me and i think nick the bass player is that his name i remember me and him throwing each other into piles of garbage outside of the (laughs) roseland (laughs) it was that kind of tour where you can just throw someone into a pile of garbage and not worry about it right yeah the good old days yeah (laughs) that and i remember i remember uh (laughs) we were opening or sloan was opening for them in cleveland and it was at uh, some I may have even been at the Agora Ballroom, or I don't know. It was like a big theater, an old school theater. Right. So I don't want to screw shop. it up. Yeah, no, <laughs> it was not the Grog Shop, which we played eighty six times. Um, it was, um, yeah, it was at a proper theater with you know twenty five hundred people. And I remember like it was one of those first times that were like a balcony was jumping up and down wow. for Jet kind of thing. Like they were popular, hmm. and I remember. Uh, I just remember outside, I was just outside with the video camera, just shooting exteriors of the, of the thing. And I remember, 
I remember thinking, wow, this band is so popular that people, just strangers that aren't going up to the show are asking me, like, who's playing tonight? Why is there such a big line kind of thing? Like, oh, I guess that's what happens when you're playing with a popular band. People show mm-hmm. up and they line up for hours mm-hmm. and stuff. Like, mm-hmm. it was it was pretty eye-opening for me to see them. Like, whoa. So, um, whenever you're on that, that DVD, <laughs> Keeping the Tour Life, if you ever see a huge shot of the crowd, like, going bananas, they're going bananas for Jet. Like, Sloan was off an hour before <laughs> that. I just stole all of the footage of people cheering for Jet. And, right. yeah, put that in later. Some warm editing. Yep. <laughs> it was, uh, it. yeah, the uh, the audience was fluffed. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> so great. Well, you, we've t- been talking about Sloan here and your relationship with him. Mm-hmm. I would love to go back a, a quick sec. Mm-hmm. So maybe perhaps first impressions, first awareness of the band. Um, obviously, you're from the area. Yeah, so yeah. You, gotta, you must have been aware of them pretty early but, on. And then, and then perhaps like first meeting them, was working them, you know, did working for them come first or did knowing them come first? But that, that's the thing is that from 91 to 93, I was not even in Halifax. <laughs> so I didn't know them at all. <laughs> like I wasn't even, I was in North Bay, Ontario, going to television broadcasting school. And I'm listening to it on Brave New Waves and one mm-hmm. wow, all these bands from Halifax are doing great. Mm-hmm. Who are these people? <laughs> I had no idea who they were. I'm so I would have only met them after that kind of thing when I came back, and they've already would have put out an album or two. Cool. So were there any like friends in common or anything like that? Oh yeah, Was it yeah a matter tons, of like running into somebody at like a show or something. Yeah, or? Halifax is just such a small city, so you're eventually going to have mm-hmm. mutual friends and stuff. But I I hasten to remember even hanging out with. Patrick or Chris more than once before that sort of thing. Like it was more when, when I I had moved, I was away from 91 to 93 and then my band, the grace babies moved away in 96. So I was only there for three years, which seems like a long time, but wasn't that long, you know? It was sort of also the transitional period, I guess, for many of those. Yeah, exactly. Moving out as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Sloan was essentially gone in Well, Andrew was gone in 93. Yeah. You know, and everybody else was trickling over by, you know, with the exception of Patrick by 96. So, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, it's, yeah, as Chris always likes to say, he was not, he didn't miss anything. <laughs> Giant eye roll. <laughs> <laughs> How did you end up then from, from, moving back to Halifax mm-hmm. to sort of encountering the band. I mean, were you staying in contact with them? through? For no, like I, I barely, I wouldn't have made much contact at all until I moved up here in the late nineties. And then just from seeing in clubs and going to the horseshoe and all that kind of stuff okay. would have met him through that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, you, so your, your Sloan existence essentially starts with the 2003 Ash Impact tour or is that? Um, with like, with, yeah, like on an actual, uh, on an actual employment basis, yes. <laughs> Professional employment basis, yes. Cool. So how did that how did that take place? Did somebody like was it Mike reaching out to you? Well, no, saying, like, hey, I we I need a guy. Or? I was telling those nerds like, you guys are going on tour sometime soon. I can get access to a camera. Why don't you shoot something? Mm-hmm. So I, I think I, I believe I approached them, but uh, yeah, it just sort of made sense for them to might as well capitalize on opening for a bigger band so there's going to be lots of big shows so you might as well capture some video and they've always been been big on capturing video from every tour and every 
sort of incarnation kind of thing, which is mm-hmm. kind of awesome because most bands don't bother to document that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. I barely have anything from the Grace Babies, whereas I know Chris Murphy has got like every show ever recorded. He's got a copy of it somewhere. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> so there's plenty of stuff kicking around for those guys. And he's always on my ass to to dig through my 10,000 boxes that I have jammed up in my crawl space to find old uh, Betacam tapes of Hardship Post because he really wants to document all that stuff. And, I, I, and that's funny because I used to, like on the weekends, I would go into the TV station that I worked at and I would just steal a camera and then I would go down to the club and shoot whatever band was happened to be playing and I would get like a... I, like I would just borrow the gear under the guise of, yeah, I'm just trying to, you know, perfect my camera work, blah, blah, blah. Can I use the gear on the weekend? Yeah, no problem. We don't care. And then I would take a wireless microphone and get a full board feed and shoot all the bands. And then like I would shoot videos, like I would shoot, unbeknownst to them, like I would just shoot a bunch of video and then I would make my own video for the song and stuff. But they're awful, awful, awful videos. They're horrible. Like no one ever wants to see them or there's no point, but it was, it was, it was what I did to sort of do that. Like by, by, I just mean like performance videos. Mm. Sure. Yeah. And using your skills. Yeah. But using like stupid little video tricks to make and rewind things. And like, it's horrible. No one needs to see it, but it was what I practiced (laughs) on, you know? I'm just hoping I, in my fantasy you have like a YouTube channel that nobody knows about and this is oh. all there just waiting to be viewed. No, that's that'll all be on chrismurphy.com. I don't care to even bother. <laughs> I'll just give it to him and he can couldn't care less. Well, as yeah. long as if, if it sees oh, the light no, of day, no. that'd be amazing. Oh yeah, no, no, no. It, it will see the light of day, I suppose, one day. But I, <laughs> he'll be the one that would spearhead that. I, I couldn't care less about that. Well, we spoke to Mr. Patrick Penland recently on one of the episodes, and he mentioned, I can't remember the name of the radio station, you'll have to tell me, it was called The Rock of the Atlantic. Yeah, Q104, The Rock of the Atlantic. Mm. I joined the Q104 Rock Army on about uh, October of 1983. I would have went to the, the Bears Road Shopping Center, and you waited in line for like about an hour, and then you went up to the table, and you had to sign a pledge that you were going to join the Q104 Rock Army. <laughs> And then they tied like sort of a Rambo style thing in here. It was like combination Rambo, like Mark Farner from Grand Funk Railroad, and a big thing on your arm. And you, you signed the pledge and they actually, like, it was ridiculous. Like Halifax and the Maritimes were so starved for rock music. Like Mm. people don't understand how desperate we were. When I was a kid, like one concert a year would come and you would just go Mm. like, I saw George Thorogood. Like, I hate George Thorogood. Never liked him. But there was a concert, so I went to right. the concert. Right. Uh, uh, like, oh my God. I've probably seen Lee Aaron five times. Mm. Just because whatever town I was in, I was like, oh, there's a show. Okay, I'll go. Right. Like, <laughs> I'm not the biggest Lee Aaron fan in the world, but I just, I'm so starved for live music. Like, I, we saw... Um, I remember uh, Motorhead opening for Alice Cooper in 1988, and everybody went to that show just because it was a rock show, so you went to the rock show. Sure. It wasn't a matter of who you're going to, oh, there's there's two shows this year. Holy crap. Well, I guess I'll go to both. Like, you know, (laughs) I remember it it was the biggest deal on earth was in 1987, 86 or 87. I think it was 87. Uh, Def Leppard were the biggest band Mm. on earth and they played in Halifax. Like they opened their tour Mm. and it was like 
one of the first North American Def Leppard in the round shows, mm-hmm. and people went bananas. They'd never seen the likes of it. Like it was, was that crazy. pre or post amputation? I think it was post. Uh, it was post amputation. But however, as Chris Murphy will tell you, if have you had that nerd on here yet? <laughs> we don't. We don't even know if he listens. Okay. Yeah. He. I mean, I'm assuming he probably listens and takes notes and then <laughs> says, "Oh, he said that wrong and said that wrong." He's gonna. He will nitpick the shit out of you for sure. But I'm I, just joking. I, he hasn't been on. No. Okay. But I say that the uh, when just because I'm fifty. So in my generation in Halifax, people and I've I've asked I've pulled people older than me I've pulled people younger than me like within ten years and the whole uh, concert scene in Halifax switched from pre Kiss playing in nineteen seventy six or seventy seven with the Cheap Trick opening mm-hmm. and I guess I'm getting get all these details wrong and you're gonna get blah blah blah. But I just remember that everybody remembers pre-Kiss and post-Kiss. Mm. Like, again, Kiss would have been the hottest band on earth, and they played in our stupid little bodunk town. And people went berserk. People for weeks were, I heard they smashed the dressing room. Oh, I heard they spit blood all over the hotel. Like, people just spreading. Like, it was the greatest PR of all time. Don't say anything. Like Led Zeppelin, yeah. don't do an interview. People will make up the greatest stuff. You don't need to do anything. Right. And they do. Yeah, yeah exactly. Great. And then next year's headliner, Anne Murray. Yeah, so we grew up in a world where there was one concert a year, and you just went. Well, speaking of, I mean, people who went to the rock show, to the Sloan rock show between, like, you know, mid-2000s, late-2000s, they would know, they would have seen Skip Low. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was wondering if you could maybe regale us with the history I'm, of Rock of the Merch <clears throat> and Skip Low. I'm trying to think of, I know we did that whole tour. I can't give you years and stuff. Uh, Chris Murphy and Jay Ferguson, the nerdologists, will tell you the years of the tours and stuff. But basically, <laughs> one year, one summer, me and Mike... Uh, Nelson, the road manager, and uh, Christopher Murphy, we drove from Toronto up to Casino Rama to go see Don Rickles play live. Oh, uh, and uh, on the way up there, we were discussing about how we were going to, what excuse we were going to use to bring me on the next tour. Uh, and so we came up with the idea of broadcasting a fake radio station every night mm-hmm. at the show. So Every night at the show, as doors opened and people walked in, I would play the uh, I would play the sign on O Canada, and then and then uh, start a show as if we were broadcasting live and I had commercials and live bumpers and teasers, and I would introduce the band, and then in between songs, I would do some chatter while they were changing instruments, and then in between sets, I would DJ, and then I was selling merch the whole time, and sort of had a light on me so that if things got a little slow, Murphy would talk back and forth, and be like, hey, Skip, what's happening over at the merch table over there? And uh, and I had my own microphone that I could unmute that was always live through the PA. And I said, well, Chris, lots of things happen over. We've got lots of deals here. We've got lots of requests in for MRCH. A lot of people want to know if you're going to play Unkind tonight or whatever, you know? Right. Like, yeah, just yeah, pretend yeah. like it was a live-to-air scenario. And every night people would come up to me and say, are you really broadcasting live? And I'm like, <laughs> I sure am. And they're like, through what? I'm like, through those two speakers right there. Like, yeah. I'm broadcasting. You can hear me. It's not necessarily going out past this room, but I'm doing it. 
<laughs> and for so, the listeners who, who never got to experience this, I got to just say, it is genius. Like, <laughs> you know, for a band like Sloan on the Road, like their bread and butter most of the time is the merch, you know, at the show. So what better way to put a spotlight on that fact than have an event at the merch table, you know? I, I still, I, want, I keep threatening to bring it back, but it was universally hated by so many people oh, like it I, went it went over the people like it's much like alexander keats those who like it like it a lot right but those okay. people who didn't like it hated it and um it the reviews and these are actual reviews uh the best review we got was on the the washington post.com it said uh uh sl- um sloan blah, blah 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 with their merch uh with their live fake to air merch broadcast MRCH, uh, uh, Skip Lowe commenting on the state of postmodern rock radio, <laughs> and like they built this whole narrative. I'm like, what are you talking about? And and then all the way to the worst one in Cleveland, someone went to their website and like you know they used to have a thing where you could comment on every show and hey I was there and that was great. Mm. Someone someone referred to Skip Lowe as quote repugnant. <laughs> <laughs> we always refer to that repugnant. <laughs> oh my god, I love it. Well, I mean, I saw yeah. a couple of these shows yeah. and I, I totally got oh, it. I and laughed my, my ass off. It's so great, and, and you were so you were so smooth on the mic, and it was so great, so well done. And and honestly, you mentioned the recordings, like the bumpers and the in the in the in between songs, because in between songs, like oh, yeah. if, if I'm not mistaken, during the show, like in a transition where Greg oh, yeah. might normally play, like you know, an Andrew keyboard line or something. You would play a, a commercial or something. So they had it down. If by the end of it, we had it down, and I knew that it would be exactly one minute between. They would go, Wow and then by the time they're going to start the next song, it'll be one minute. So I'd be yeah. like, "All right, Sloan, I'm going to be right back after this." And I would play two thirty-second commercials, and then by the end of that thirty-second, the second thirty-second commercial, we used to have. I, I made all these fake commercials at home ahead of time, this so I had them question. fully. Yeah. I had them fully produced. I went over to a friend's studio. We made jingles for uh, Moosehead Beer. We made jingles for uh, a strip club in uh, upstate. I don't even know where, somewhere in the Midwest, we made all these fake jingles and I would just play them as I go. And then I had another friend, uh, she had, or he had, his girlfriend was doing voiceover work. So she would do all the MRCH or she would do the skip low and I could just trigger all those and stuff. So I had it down to the second where it would be like, all right, here they come, slow, blah, blah, blah. And then 30 second commercial, 30 second commercial, and then boo, skip low. And then Andrew would rip into a riff. Like, I mean, it was, it got so, it got so tight that it was pretty friggin' funny after a while. Dude, it was so smooth. I, I remember very clearly seeing the show at the Mod Club and like, <laughs> I want to say it's like Parallel Play Tour or something. Yeah, it's something And it was there, yeah. unreal smooth. It was pretty funny, so hey? Good. It's yes. a really, it's such a funny idea. And I want to bring it back, but it's it was such a divisive thing that certain members don't want to bring it back. They're like, oh my sure. god, I fucking hate Skip Low. I never want to hear him again. Because <laughs> they're listening to me every night kind right, of thing. Right, right, right. But this is an actual fact, is that, again, the crossover between me doing whatever for Sloan and being a camera guy is that I used to work in the... Um, promotions department at Rogers all the time. So I would always end up being the camera guy doing interviews for bands for their promotions channel, channel one. So I would always show up on interviews and people be like, what are you doing here? Like the, the, in the interview would be like, how do you know who that is? 
like at least a half a dozen times the interviewer will be like, how do you know? Every time we go to a, an interview, you know who the artist is before I do, and I'm doing the interview. Mm. And <laughs> one time we did an interview with uh, Gowan, Larry Gowan, just call me Larry. And my friend who was the producer said, after we did the interview, he said, well, Larry, like my friend Kevin here, he does this thing for MRCH and he goes on tour with Sloan and he blah, 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 blah. And he's like, he's like, I got to get you to, to come with me on tour when I do the casinos. <laughs> and I should have taken him up on that offer, but oh I never God. did. But Gowan said, that sounds fantastic. So good enough for Gowan, good enough for Sloan. He's a bit of a tastemaker, to be honest with you. I agree. I agree. And it's funny that my first concert that I ever saw as a grown-up would have been uh, in about two, uh, 1981. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, such a long story. But a scalper gave me a free ticket as an 11-year-old at the CNE, And I walked in and I saw Larry Gowan and his brother Terrence Gowan opening for Styx on the Mr. Roboto Tour. Oh, my God. Wow. I saw the Mr. Roboto Tour. Fantastic. <sighs> yeah. That's pretty that awesome. Fantastic. I, mean, you were big names back <laughs> I was like 11 or yeah. something. And a scalper, he came up to me and he said, are you going to the show? And I said, nah, my older brother went to the show and he just told me to wait outside for four hours. <laughs> so as an 11 year old from Halifax, Nova Scotia, I was sitting outside of the CNE in this, like, to me, that would have been post-apocalyptic. What? There's lights on after night? Like, what is the city that I'm in? And a total stranger that was a scalper, sorry, a ticket broker, um, gave me a ticket. (laughs) He said, are you going to the show? And I said, no. He goes, here you go, kid. And I walked in and I just, because the show had already started. And I saw the end of Larry Gowan and Terrence Mm. Gowan. And then I saw Mr. Roboto. Oh, my God. Holy yeah. shit. Not so much sticks once I heard the Ramones, right? I actually, exactly. <laughs> I, I, I've met Terrence Gowan, and this is a quick aside. Uh, a couple years ago, he, he would always play at the Elma Combo like every week. Mm-hmm. For some reason, he would have like a jam band. So a couple times I would go, and I'm playing with this guy, and at the end, he's like, oh, by the way, I'm Gowan. And I'm like, oh my, anyway, whatever. The other um, Gowan. I'm the other gallon. He's the other gallon. Yeah. No one's rooting for him, unfortunately. <laughs> no. <laughs> But anyway, yeah, so I, I just want to get back and just say officially, does that content, does that Skiplo bumper commercial content live anywhere? Is it's, it just like in an archive somewhere? The, the thing that I'm talking to you on right now, my 2010 laptop has all that <laughs> stuff on it. And if I if I knew where it was, I could probably play, play and find a couple of Skiplos. <laughs> I also have all the same MRH stuff, MRCH stuff I would use for the um, – we later went on to sponsor, quote unquote, sponsor a hockey team in the Exclaim mm. Cup hockey tournament, the MRCH right. 108.8 Morning Zoo Crew. Mm. And I would be the main Zoo Crew guy, Skip Lowe. We, we pretended to broadcast. We told everybody we broadcast from 4.45 to 7.45 every morning. Drive time, kind of. Uh, and then, and Murphy was the, Murphy was like the, uh, the mascot, the platypus Mm. or sorry, he was my sidekick, the platypus, Chris Murphy. And Mike Nelson was our mascot, Murchie, the Mm. six foot giant, uh, novelty (laughs) t-shirt. That was going to get, I I mean, while you're looking for that, I mean, I would love to get into it. Maybe tell us the story of Murchie. Um, you know, just kind of you, filling yeah. the listeners in here in case they haven't I, seen it. I don't even want to speak for Murchie because you're going to have to have Murchie on the show. And that's all I'll say. Okay. Okay. But Fair in enough. the meantime, let me see if I can blurp some of these 
Here's I have something that says MRCH the platypus theme. Let me see what happens. Stand by. Platypus. So that would be the sting for when the platypus would show up. Uh, and let me see what else do I have here. Oh, I think I have like my fake like pretending like MRCH was like a uh, was like an edge sort of uh, alternative rock. Here's the uh, here's like the uh, sting I would use. One hundred eight point eight. The merch. It's <laughs> so great. It's That's so accurate too. Yeah. And now, sorry. Here's here's a classic <laughs> example of what I would have used, like coming out of a commercial and then playing this quick little snippet, and then they would go into the next song. Okay. So perfect. <laughs> so there you go. You got a couple of freebies there. Oh, that's great. Thanks so much. Man. And I mean, I, I, I totally respect not wanting to touch on Merchy, but maybe you could fill the listeners in a little bit well, on what exactly a hockey hootenanny is. What is the mascot dating game? Well, if you, again, if you go, uh, if you go on to my Instagram, you'll probably find a bunch of stuff or on Chris Murphy's Instagram. Uh, you'll find a bunch of stuff every couple of years about a hockey tournament, and we're all dressed up and being ding dongs. And right. every every year in in this uh, artists artist driven uh, musician driven hockey uh, tournament, usually held over uh, the Easter weekend every year for for many years, uh, there would be teams from across the country, and you had to play in the hockey tournament. But no matter what your ability as uh, hockey players, you also had to perform in. You had to perform twenty minutes uh, of anything that would yeah. entertain people at the right. Horseshoe Tavern or at Lee's yeah. Palace or a big we, venue. Over we talked three to nights. Aaron yeah. Brophy about this from Chart Magazine. There okay. you go. Yep. So our team, the MRCH Morning Zoo crew, we would do different things every year and pretend to do different things, and we had. Oh my God! Uh, again, I'm gonna forget all the good ones, but my favorites uh, were probably our. And again, we sort of. I, I like to say that we were on the quest, uh, on the crest of a wave, and we we sort of got out ahead of the uh, of the uh, genre bending uh, uh, trends that we all know and love now, but. Mm. We we did the Beach Stee Boys way before <laughs> anybody else did, uh, and it was like we did Beach Boy songs in a Beastie Boys fashion, and then we did mm. Beach Boy songs in a uh, be- uh, <laughs> vice versa, and then at yeah. the end of it we did, uh, and then at the end of it we had a wall between us the whole time, mm. and then Aerosmith Run DMC style we jammed down the wall, and then we played. You know, we played together, love, love, love. So there was always a, a through line through okay. our performance every year. One year we did, uh, we did a whole bunch of uh, Slade dressed as the Basie Rollers. Uh, <laughs> we did. Oh, I'm uh, Chris Murphy's going to kill me that I don't remember all the good ones. But of course, our tour to tour to force was the Andrew Lloyd Webber's The Stray Cats. <laughs> So there's photos, there's video, uh, and it's pretty fantastic, and I'll leave it at that. You can ask Chris Murphy that and cut to him right now telling you about that. And his photo that he has for that, he the photo is so impressive that he has it blown up by like two feet by three feet up on his wall. It's probably the most impressive photo I've ever seen in my life. Us dressed as cats mm. from the cats, the musical cats. Playing the stray cats. 
And also, and again, of course, because it's MRCH, we have Merchie, the six foot giant novelty t-shirt with his novelty hands with like whiskers on his face. Oh yes, my I'm god! Sure Andrew, it it sure was Andrew pretty much out of control when he saw you guys. Yeah, it, there's so many inside jokes that people were just like, "What are you talking about?" We've uh, like, um, uh, I've used, I have this uh, gold lame uh, suit, uh, right, like yes. leotards and jacket that we've used as we've used that we've re, we've we've recycled that so many times that we've run out of genres we've used it as shanana we've right. used it as glam we've used it as disco we've used it as the bee gees we've like we've oh we, like we just keep doing stupider and stupider stuff every year and as chris murphy likes to say mrch is the most expensive non-monetizable practical joke of all time <laughs> I love it. And it's I, I'm hoping that the next album, whatever the thirteenth album is, maybe there's a gold theme and we can get the entire crew oh my in those God. suits. No comment. I don't wanna I don't even want to start to comment. Okay, okay, fair <laughs> enough. I mean I've seen photos of Black Abba. Is are we talking about the same crew of people here? Yeah, it it was the same crew. Yeah, Black Abba. Of course Chris will scream at me that I forgot Black Abba. But Black Abba is probably the pinnacle of all things too, because it's it's all it's it's half Black Sabbath songs with ABBA lyrics, but with Black Sabbath melodies, and then half ABBA music with Black Sabbath. Like, it's so complicated and so many levels of insanity that Chris Murphy can only be in charge of that. Nobody else on earth. Sorry, and the lead singer of Black ABBA is, of course... Uh, well, I don't know. I forget what all the names and the sticks were, but it's the Chris Murphy Aussie character, and then I'm the Abba Frida character. Right. Okay. Yeah. It's. I think it's Ozzy Osbjorn, right? So it's Ozzy Osbjorn, <laughs> yes. So there's so many jokes that I forget them all over the years. But yeah, Ozzy <laughs> Osbjorn. But we think that our uh, – I think that – and I agree with Murphy that our, our greatest joke involving that is the backdrop instead of the uh, – you know how Black Sabbath had the cross? Right. We just have the sideways uh, Swedish flag, and it has the yellow cross in it, but with the blue. And he's like, dude, we'll sell a million of those. How do we get this oh. on tour? <laughs> yeah, I would pay to see Black Abba. Oh yeah, I would too. So you never know. There's always talk of Black Abba, but I feel like the only problem with all of these side projects and groups is that – I'm literally the least talented member of all these groups. I'm always like the mood fluffer or the guy that shoots off the confetti cannon or the guy that screams or blah, blah, blah. Like I'm musically the least talented of all those guys. So they'll, they can do Black Abba without me, unfortunately. So they probably will, but I'm happy to support it and I'm happy to be part of it. But I'm not disappointed if I'm not part of it because they're like, dude, you got to do something. <laughs> well, well, I mean, well, well, you mentioned it yourself. You are the mood fluffer. You gotta, you gotta have a guy like you around. Yeah, you know? they were, uh, they and, refer to me as the mood fluffer slash lighting director. <laughs> Official job title. I was gonna say. I mean, maybe you could walk us through a day on the in the life of Kev. Maybe in more recent years, because I mean, tour? seeing you on tour. I mean, you are just like a million miles an hour doing everything. You know, a day off might be Medford in the meantime, but you know, a day. You know, and you can maybe even speak to that, but like a, a day on the road, you know, what does that look like for it's you? It's the one. Entail? It's the one thing that I wish people like. It would be the the most boring uh, live stream of all time, but you would see me from two p.m. or three p.m. whenever load in begins until we finished loading out, probably nine to ten 
whatever, 11 hours later, and I'm running around with my head cut off, trying to, trying to, because I'm one of the few people that brings, I have a completely different situation every single night. Like Cam, our sound guy, he has the same microphones and he has the same microphone cables and he has the same board. Mm. Uh, and sometimes we even bring our own PA, but but just like on tour, he has the same tools every night. The guys in the band play the same drums, the same everything. I walk into every single venue every time, and I go up to the house guy, and I say, hey, I'm Kevin, the lighting guy. How you doing? How does your lighting rig work? And he has to teach me how his lighting rig works every time, and it works one of three ways. One, it's computer-based and impossible to learn, and I cannot figure out if I try for 15 hours and I'm screwed. <laughs> B, uh, it does nothing, mm. and you have to learn how... Okay, yeah, what does the lighting do? I don't know. It's broken. What mm. lighting rig? Yeah. yeah, what lighting rig? Or C, oh yeah, the lighting rig works great. The show's at 8. The lighting guy will be here about 745. Right. And then for 15 minutes, I have to scramble to figure out how to use the lighting board because they're not, they're not paying the guy that knows how to use it to show up four hours in advance, mm. even though I'm there four hours in advance. So then I sit there and freak out for four hours trying to figure out how I'm going to set everything up because as far as I can tell, the band's number one job on tour is to make fun of me. So then, of course, if if the lights look crappy and it looks awful, the first thing they're going to say after the show is that looks crappy, and I'm going to lose my mind. And I'm and <laughs> they're doing that just to make me lose my mind, and then I'm going to laugh afterwards. It's the same, I would torment Jay as well. I would stick a big box under his pillow, and I would drive him nuts. So that's how they get back at me: is making fun of me and how crappy the lights are. And the next day, someone will post. Someone on the internet will post them in the most fantastic photo of the band and they're like oh wow i guess we probably look like that every night we don't even need you kev why are you even here I'm like i'm the one that did that you idiot took me eight hours to make you look like that ah! well i gotta <laughs> so, yeah, say again it's, it's a it's a long hard working day and people just think that i'm frigging around the whole day i'm working my ass off for about mm-hmm. nine hours and then of course, I'm like, I'm having a couple of beers along the way, but by the end of the night, I am spent. I just want to mm. go to bed. Basically, I'll have a couple of beers, eat and go to bed mm. <laughs> and try to well, sleep. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, having so seen it's, the it's not as lux- It's not as luxurious as one would think it was. Yeah. I love it and it's fun and it's, I love the challenge of doing it every night, but it's not an easy job. Right. I'll leave it at that. So talk to me about, you know, you're, you're doing the show. Obviously, you know the songs really well. You're on the road. You're hearing them all the time. So, you know, you're, you're coming up with different cues for each song. Yeah. I love the spotlight that you've used, <laughs> you know. Like, I'm thinking about a song like 48 Portraits or something where the, where the vocal goes from Andrew to Chris and the, and, the, and the light finds its way to Chris for that part. You know, it's just hmm. really tasteful as a It's pretty goes. fun. I love doing it. I, I feel yeah. like I'm the I, – I feel like sometimes that I'm almost like the rhythm lighting guy. As opposed to I'm playing along with them sometimes. And sometimes we'll have, we have so many fun, we have so many gags like with lighting cues and stuff that we laugh at all the time and certain things that happen. And, uh, and it takes like the first, when we do a tour, the the set kind of stays the same after it gets sort of locked in after a few Mm -hmm. dates. So for the first, uh, for the first, you know, week, I'm still trying to figure out what I'm going to do when and where and why and how. And then, by the end, after the first 
10 days, I can do, I can literally do the show with my head down, not looking and I can go blimp, 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 because I know exactly who's going to say when and when they're going to be and blah, blah. Like it's so, it's, I just, it just naturally, I know what's going to happen kind of thing. And so it just, so the first two weeks are kind of hard and I got to figure, and then it's all on autopilot after that. <laughs> but it's still awesome. a long day. Do you yeah, have man. a favorite? Do you have a favorite song to do lights for? Like you talked about these little little it's, internal it's, cues. It's different every time. It's it's it depends. I mean, obviously, I like to go berserk on all the lights. If if we show up somewhere and the guy's like, "Oh, I got these lasers and I got this thing and I got blah blah blah," and I always say to them, "Can you program me a move where I press a button and when I press that button, every light turns on on max and it blinds the audience?" And he's like. Oh, I can do that. And so I save that one up and then it's always like because uh, I know there's going to be a couple points where people are going to sing and then I rest won't of my even, life. Or yeah, something. so I won't even touch that until that point. I would go boom and people are like, "Ah!" It's pretty fun to it's pretty fun to watch that. That's great. Yeah, yeah. I and know Murphy, that I'll be living it in Canada. Yeah. yeah, and and some of the guys will know. They'll laugh on stage. So I can see the smile. <laughs> They're killing themselves like everybody all of a sudden is like, "Ah!" And if you time it right, it looks so it's like we're yeah, it's like we're, you know, we're the Stones in 1974 and there's a million people <laughs> going crazy, but we're just playing a theater full of 200 people, but it looks so cool. Yeah, that's so it's kind of it's kind of fun, yeah. <laughs> I love it. Getting back to Halifax and music and stuff is that uh and the connection between all these things and tv and music is that i was working at channel 10 in halifax with mike clattenberg oh sorry he was working there i was volunteering there mm-hmm. in 1991 mm-hmm. when uh my favorite band at the time iron maiden came mm-hmm. to halifax and of course uh mike clattenberg had a weekly musical show there so he was interviewing the band so he said you know about Iron maiden like do you want to write all the questions for me? Like, can you help me? Cause I don't know what, I don't know anything about them. I'm into hip hop. So then I did all the questions and then he said, well, do you want to come to the interview? So then I came to the interview and I got to meet Steve Harris from Iron Maiden, which was fantastic. Oh, awesome. And I met the road manager and stuff. And uh, the road manager said, Oh, you want to, do you want some, uh, do you want a backstage pass? I'm like, uh, yeah. And he goes, okay. Do you want an onstage pass? I'm like, yeah, I don't know what it is, but I'll take it. And he, and he said, "Just meet me behind the soundboard after the trooper." So then Dude. I'm so I'm at Iron Maiden with all of my teenage buddies. Or sorry, we're 21, so I should know better. But it's Halifax, <laughs> so I I feel like I'm 14. Um, so uh, so I said, "Dudes, I have this. I met them. I met Steve Harris over there, and I have this onstage pass. I don't even know what the hell it is. I was just told to meet the road manager behind the soundboard during the trooper." So then, can I can yes. I predict what's going to happen here? Please, because do you get you... on stage in the Eddie costume and have a sword fight? With I Bruce don't Dickinson? get in the on. Okay. I don't get in the Eddie costume. <laughs> However, after the next song after the, the trooper is was something called Alexander the Great because I think it right. was some I don't even know. Anyway, next thing I know, I'm on stage with Iron Maiden, and I recall to this day being so close to Steve Harris that I could feel the stubble on his face as we were singing into the same microphone, like this big, at one point of the song, the song Alexander the Great, I think it was Alexander the Great, sort of like a big chant, whoa, whoa, and they bring all the contest winners out and they all stand around and sing. And um, my favorite thing was that everybody, all the contest winners, black t-shirt, blue jeans, I got a white t-shirt on. Only guy on stage in a white t-shirt. Iron Maiden, 1991. 
Nice. True Classic story. Hilliard movie. True story. That's amazing. The only thing the only thing cooler than that, I think, is the photo I've seen of Murphy singing with uh singing Surrender with Rick Nielsen from Cheap Trick. Right. Like that is the Ooh. coolest thing I've ever <laughs> conceived of. I've never seen that. I would love to see that. That's great. I was in Calgary when they played. I didn't I wasn't on that show, but they played with Cheap Trick and apparently it was amazing. Oh All right. that must have been. <laughs> Well, speaking of amazing shows, I wanted, I know we, Ken wants to segue into talking about never see the end of it, which is just like, and I have my own personal feelings on that. I'll get to that in a second, but <laughs> sort of a backward segue. I think my first time seeing you in person, we've talked on the show about South by 2007, where the band was there in the U.S. kind of promoting never hear the end of it. And I went to the the Canada house <laughs> and there, and, 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 I, and somebody's like, oh, there's this amazing band playing upstairs. And we go upstairs and it's like small sins. It is. That's what it. It's not what it smells like. And there's a guy in the room who doesn't have an instrument. <laughs> that sounds like me. And he's just clapping. <laughs> and you, you got the entire. There was a moment in the song. I can't remember what the song it was, but there was like a breakdown, and you had the whole fucking audience follow you out of the house, down the stairs, <laughs> out onto the lawn outside. I don't remember that at all. It was one of the most <laughs> epic things. I, I think you might have been wearing like next to nothing. <laughs> that sounds like it was, <laughs> and everybody was talking about it for the next few days. Oh, that's amazing! I don't remember and, that. <laughs> so that was my first time seeing you. Um, so anyway, that I remember particular... playing that show, but I don't remember going out in the thing because we used to. I would do that all the time. But it was a super shitty show. I would just try and see how many people I could get to clap conga behind me and just run through right. the crowd or do whatever. But I don't remember that particular, but I remember that show upstairs in the, right. in that tiny, tiny Canada house thing. That was fantastic. It's like in like in a living yeah. room of a house. Or yeah. Something. yeah. It was it's very weird. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Thank obviously you. they're on that never hear the end of it tour. The previous year you would have been producing the never see the end of it YouTube video. And we've, we've talked on the show. I will just say this quickly because mm. you're the guest. When I moved to Toronto, it was 2006. I didn't even have my bed put together. I've got a bunch of boxes in my room. I'm living in this tiny little apartment, and the only thing I care about is an internet connection so I can log on and see the next episode and never see the end of it. That was your production. That was me. I shot and directed and edited and wrote and produced and graphicked and blah 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 that. Yeah, I was. Uh, I just. I, I, we didn't have a particular plan. We just went and shot a bunch of stuff, mm. and then. I, someone came up with the concept of doing 30 little videos. And then so I tried to stretch out whatever content I had into 30 little videos. <laughs> but Do it's you have funny. A... I, I, I like the fact that I think uh, I interview Gregory like 20 mm. minutes after he got in from Vancouver. Yeah. And that's when I met him. Yeah. He looked, yes. he looked yeah. a little bit stunned. I he met him brand that, new. Yeah, I met him that day. And I've That's known awesome. him ever since. He now he lives. He doesn't live too far from me right now. Two or three blocks away. But he was just like, "Who's this moron with the camera?" And I'm like, "Who's this moron playing keyboard?" <laughs> <laughs> he was fresh as a daisy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah hadn't, had the life, hadn't had the life kicked out of him yet. <laughs> right. <laughs> Still had hope in his eyes. Those clips are just so legendary among They're song fans. Do you, funny, do you have like a couple faves that you recall? Uh, I do. I <laughs> I remember making all those and just laughing my ass off at home, thinking this is going to be so funny or this is going to be so dumb or whatever. But I'm laughing, and if I was a fan, I think I would enjoy that. And I think my favorite is the one <laughs> where uh, because it's very rare, I think, for 
other members of the band to be around while another while another guy is doing his vocals. Mm-hmm. So Chris was listening to Patrick yes. do his vocals. And he's like, and Chris is like, could you do it a little more bluesy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, like, and I, oh my God, it was so funny to me. I love that video. Yeah, I everybody love that wants one. you. Yeah, I never wants you. <laughs> so this was your, it was safe to say this was your first time sort of in the recording setting with, with the band, right? Because this uh, would have been. The, uh, when was the, I, I shot some stuff of them recording. Some of the uh, B sides for the A sides win. Remember, oh, there right. was some. Okay, okay so the previous year. Yeah, I yep. shot some of that stuff with. Okay. okay. And Ryan Hazlitt was producing that, and I was sure. just shooting video of them doing that stuff. So, what what was your like initial impression of watching this band in the recording studio? Their their sort of recording process. Well, it's completely different from anything I've ever known because. Every band I've ever been in, it's like, you know, it's like the monkeys. There's four guys there, and there's four guys in the control room, and there's four guys talking about this, and there's four guys. Those guys are like, each guy has his own vision. Mm. So it's it's sort of four separate together as opposed to all for one and one for all. So it's mm. a completely different scenario that I had never really witnessed before, I don't think. Mm. Yeah, and you you yourself have been credited with uh, percussion uh, contributions (laughs) on the Double Cross. Can you enlighten listeners as to what exactly you had contributed? I feel like there's probably some clapping on there, maybe (laughs) some tambourining. Um, But my personal favorite credit, Sloan credit, is on Parallel Play. I'm not a kid anymore. Okay, I get credited uh, for doing. Fridge thumps. So you know when it goes in the verse. That's like a bunch of guys clapping, but then also me slapping with a microphone pointed towards a beer freeze, and I'm going smack, smack, smack. Like we were trying to figure out how we can make this bigger. So I did some fridge thumping. <laughs> not to be confused with tub thumping no that's exactly say very chumbo exactly. yeah 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 <laughs> so that's i think that's my favorite one okay yeah awesome my that's my favorite sloan uh studio uh moment my probably my all-time studio or my all-time live is probably when i uh the on the hit and run tour chris broke his collarbone hmm. right yeah. so i got to play a couple songs on bass uh, at the Molson Amphitheater, and then also in Halifax, uh, mm. in front of like ever like twelve thousand people, including like my family and friends, and so that was pretty fun. Cool. That's an yeah. awesome moment. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty cool. And then li- that show, <laughs> the one in Halifax, is uh, Sloan was like the first band on of however many, but the headliner was Chickenfoot. Right, Sammy Hagar. Right, and yeah. all those it's like guys. a Frankenstein so, band. Yeah. So of course we're loving getting our pictures taken by all the Van Halen road cases we can see mm. and stuff. And then I got because we were playing during the day. I may have got a little tipsy during the show. Mm. So then I had to go back to the hotel for a little nappy nap, uh, <laughs> a little disco nap. And I missed during the disco nap. I woke up and afterwards I have these furious texts from Gregory saying, "Dude." I'm chugging tequila with Sammy Hagar right now. Get down here. Where oh are you? God. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah. One of the worst decisions I ever made in my life. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I missed having a tequila with Sammy Hagar. 
Oh, Chocolate man. milk with Michael Anthony's up there too. But, but um, <laughs> I did get to stick a microphone on. <laughs> so and uh, but but uh, bringing it back to camera work and stuff is that for Sportsnet, um, for many many years for both Sportsnet and TSN, I would be the guy that would go into the Toronto Maple Leafs locker room and and press record as a reporter asked all the big questions after the big game you know mm. so i made my living doing that for a good 20 years and wow. uh the, but one time um uh was after it was when michael jordan had come back to the nba and he was playing with the washington mm. wizards mm, for that nice. one weird season <laughs> uh and i happened to be working the game that that uh, was the Washington Wizards last time through town and Michael Jordan's last time through town. And I happened to be working just doing the post-game interviews for that, but I have a full pass for that. So I made sure that I sat under the hoop and just sat there and watched Michael Jordan run at me a couple of times just to see, to see how the pros do, you know, it's like seeing David Lee Roth in his prime or seeing, you know, it's like, it was pretty cool. Catching That's the magic. Fantastic. Yeah. Speaking speaking of pros, can you maybe tell us a little bit a little bit about your wedding band in the Emilio Estevez Charlie oh. Sheen film from <laughs> whenever? Wow, you dug deep on this one. Uh, this is some. Uh, I'm trying to think. <laughs> it's, I'm trying to make a good talk show reference now, but it's escaping me. <laughs> You've really done your research. This is your life. No, I remember. Uh, my again, my oldest Toronto friend, Mr. Moberg, saying we got an offer to play in the background of a film. We don't have to actually play music; we just have to stand there and pretend we're playing. And uh, uh, Brad, our bass player, can't make it. Do you want to be the bass player? So I said, "Okay." And uh, the next thing I know, I'm sitting in a makeup chair, and I'm looking at the stuff. Like the the lady's like, "So, what do you think for your character?" And I look over and I see all the mustaches and I'm like, give me the biggest mustache you have. <laughs> so that's all I remember is asking for the biggest mustache they have. And, um, I haven't seen that. I don't know if I've ever seen that clip. So I actually need to look that up. Does that exist somewhere on the net? Can I want you to know? It's, because it's going to exist somewhere. It's I'm sure. deep in the background and you obviously yeah. I'm super duper deep in the background, but it is, uh, I think the, what was the movie called? It was both with Emilio Estevez and Charlie Sheen. I think they came up and shook our hands or said hi or thanked mm. us or something. I remember okay. them being nice. But uh, it's called The Something Brothers, and it's about these two porn kings from the 70s or something. But it was mm. a legit Hollywood movie directed yeah. by and starring Emilio Estevez. You know, it comes, I think I think the celebrity uh, Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon um, all channel through yep. um, Kevin Hilliard. I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> if someone we uh, someone uh, one time referred to me as the Forrest Gump of Canadian indie rock. There, there we go. You just seem to be there every time when something goes, why are you doing this? <laughs> That's going to be our tagline for you for this podcast episode. We talk to the Forrest Gump yeah. of Can Rock. Yeah. And Mer- uh, Chris Murphy likes to introduce me as, hey, this is my friend Kevin. He's been on a laundry list of unsuccessful bands. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, I, I, I recall you, you spoke about O Canada um, mm-hmm. as part of the Sloan uh, sort of intro music on tour and everything. And your, your band in the early 2000s, National Anthem. Yeah. 
yes. has been described as a Latter-day Sloan <laughs> mi- minus most of the subtle prettier pop moments. I thought you were going to say minus the success. <laughs> well, that too. But with the addition of a lead singer, yourself, yeah. occasionally given to Southern rock aspirations. <laughs> so can you maybe tell us about your Southern rock aspirations briefly? What are, what are some I of your... I don't know what my Southern rock... <laughs> I don't think I recall ever having any Southern rock aspirations. I think that soon as anybody hears a, a twin guitar, as they think, Leonard Skinner. I think that's what mm-hmm. that person was getting uh, referring oh, okay. to. But uh, I will go on record as saying I think 38 Special has some kick-ass pop songs. They have Fantastic. four stellar hits that if people heard them right now mm-hmm. and it was the Foo Fighters, they'd be a billion selling song. That is absolutely If the right. Foo Fighters covered So Caught Up in You right now, it would be the biggest song of 2021. <laughs> Maybe your next band for the uh, Hockey Summit of the Arts can be the Almond Brothers band, and it's just like guys dressed up as almond milk or something. I'm not and sure. again, I hate to steal all of Chris, Chris Murphy's big jokes, but he wants to do, uh, he wants to do Aerosmiths, <laughs> which I don't think is funny. So that's why I'm blowing the joke for him because I don't, I don't think that would be that funny. That seems like a one note horse, you know. <laughs> but we'll see. I'm 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 invested. Okay. <laughs> It'd be like Morrissey the, for, with a bunch of scarves. Yeah, on from spine. the man who brought you Black Abba. <laughs> I was going to say I'm, ima- I'm imagining sort of like uh, cemetery gates done in the style of back in yeah. the saddle again or something. Yeah. I mean, I I can't I I can't beat him. I have a lot of I have a lot of good jokes like that, but that's pretty good. Uh, and I'm because I just it just seems like it wouldn't be fun, mm-hmm. you know. But what do I know? Next question. <laughs> I'm actually scrolling through the movie. It's called Rated X with Rated the, X. US yes, yes, and yes, yes, yes. I'm actually looking it, through it now. It was shot. the The scene that we shot was down on the waterfront on the lakeshore, not the Palais Royale, but the place close to that that kind of has those four columns out front or whatever. Right. right. Kind of shot it in there in Toronto, and uh, yeah, I remember there being fun and uh, mustaches, but that was like. <laughs> 1998 or something like that was a long time ago yeah it's a while ago yeah Mm. like man that was 23 years ago i mean the best (laughs) of us was still a household name yeah 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 of course (laughs) it was pre uh winning charlie sheen right Right. winning yeah (laughs) free tiger blood free tiger blood exactly (laughs) well the 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 ultimate piece of kevin hilliard sloan uh, screen capture trivia would be, I swear to God, well, I know that, I was on the set for the um, Everything You've Done Wrong wedding video, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I was there, my friend Gina, uh, me and her were dancing as a couple, somewhere in the dance floor, and I oh, swear okay. to God that I am in there, but I've watched it three times, and I still can't find myself, so mm. it's like, I'm talking, it's a half a frame or two, and I'm in there dancing and I'm there. So if anybody out there listening to this podcast can watch that video and find the screen grab and find Mm -hmm. my face, let me know because I want to find it because I've told the dudes that I think I make an appearance in there, but I have yet to have any evidence. Okay. So I need evidence. So that's the challenge for the the listeners out there. We'll have There's some B-roll... Yeah, the A side wins. Uh, the A sides win rather. Yeah, there's a DVD companion. Okay, has some I didn't know that. Everything you've done wrong. B roll. May I'm in that. Maybe, maybe I'm in there. I don't. Know. I haven't seen that. 
I will be scrolling. That sounds like a that sounds like that's for nerds only. The Instagram post announcing this episode will be will just be a, a, a picture of that frame in the video. Yeah, and a if circle you can find it, head. please. Yeah. yeah, circle my face. <laughs> the fuzzy Sasquatch footage. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nerds only is the is the uh, is basically the middle name of this podcast. So there you that's go. Right. That's Understood. Right. Well, great, man. Well, I was going to ask if maybe you wouldn't mind. Mm-hmm. Doing an ID. You're listening to Sloancast <laughs> oh as Skip Lowe. What, what, would, he, what would his ID say? Skip Lowe like? go. Hey, everybody. Skip Lowe here from MRCH 108 Planet, The Rock of the Merch. And you're listening to Sloancast. Nice. And we probably could put like a tiger at the end or something. Like, <laughs> 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 awesome. <man. Platypus>. Yeah, <laughs> the, the platypus. <laughs> I love it. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, man. We'll definitely no have to have you back on because I feel like there are so many stories in there that we haven't even scratched the surface. Absolutely. Absolutely. Maybe next it could be uh, uh, questions, fan questions or people questions mm. that that maybe I might only be able to answer or more specifically might be able to truthfully answer. Right. Like who, okay. which band member stinks the most or which <laughs> member is the least funny or those kind of, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I don't want to start, any, in I don't comments, start any fights. I don't want to start any fights. I'm kidding. We'll, we'll, of course. We'll save this episode for the tail end of our, of our yeah. career. <laughs> <laughs> Your career, my career. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love it. Great. Well, Kev, so thank you so much for joining us, man. I hope uh, everybody enjoyed listening to this episode and we'll definitely have you back. Yabba dabba everybody. Thank you so much. It's great talking oh, to you, Kevin. Platypus.